0: So I think we've all been uh, caught up in a bit of the 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 drama and the crisis and the anxiety around what's been happening in Mozambique following Cyclone Idai, the ma- massive loss of life, the uh, displacement of people, the inland lake that occurred because of all the flooding. I mean, how just amazing I- is that? Just from a kind of geographical phenomenon that something like that could happen. The topography, the landscape, be changed to that extent that all of a sudden there's a, there's a big inland lake. You know, to just give you some kind of uh, idea of the scope of, of this kind of um, natural disaster, um, as it were. So I, I'm joined now on the line by Africa regional correspondent for France 24, international uh, reporter and very well-known South African journalist, Aisha Ismail, who's just returned from Mozambique, where she went to do some coverage for uh, France 24. Now, Aisha, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome, Anne. So I know you're a bit jet-flagged. I know you've just come back, and I know you're fighting a bit of a bug. You've got a tickle in your throat. But uh, just to to give us an idea of what the situation is like on the ground. I mean, from the point where you land, what is Mozambique like in this aftermath?
1: Well, let me start by telling you that I've never covered a disaster of this magnitude before. So driving through the streets of Beira, I saw destruction and devastation. I mean, entire villages had been destroyed and cut off water everywhere. Hundreds and thousands of people had been affected and, and lost just about everything. And in the streets of Beira, trees were uprooted, electricity poles stand bent while electricity wires lay strewn across the ground and some dangling in in, in the stagnant water. Rooftops blown off broken windows everywhere. And up until two days ago in in some areas like Boosie, the water was still meters high and people were still fleeing flooded areas on foot.
0: So you just mentioned now electric wires dangling and I'm thinking, are those live? Do you have an idea? Were they still sparking or were they just, is the grid completely down?
1: Well, fortunately, everything was dead. It was a complete blackout. As I said, you know, trees were uprooted and even some of the electricity poles were out of the ground. So some of the areas in Beira were in complete darkness. The, the guest house where we stayed, just to give an example, we had water in the taps, but we had no power, no electricity. Some hotels in the area um, had a generator, but they had no water. So you had to choose, do you want water or do you want power? Some of us opted for for water. And so, of course, you know, coming from South Africa, and yes, of course, we've had um, load shedding, albeit just for a few hours a day. You go to Mozambique and you think to yourself, my goodness, we are so lucky that we still have, you know, a proper infrastructure in South Africa. We don't have... um, and touch wood natural disasters like this. I think if, if, if my memory serves me right, I remember sometime in in, in, was it, in 2002, 2003, um, when we had the tornado here in Lanenburg. Yes. That, you know...
0: That's the closest well, that's- we came, yes. And that was a very localized um, area of, of, of crisis, of disruption.
1: Indeed. But what the Mozambicans um, experienced um, two weeks ago, in fact, it's exactly two weeks today. day, um, is something that, you know, it's, it's even hard for me to put in words what I saw. And, and I think that the two words, destruction and devastation, would be apt
0: so you know just a question i mean I, i'm not expecting you to have all the answers but from your your the time that you spent there what is the kind of mood um on the ground as it were and what kind of response is is mozambique capable of well in terms of the
1: mood of the locals it was when When I arrived a couple of days after, so as you said, you know, I I covered the aftermath of the cyclone. And and it was all about survival, people, you know, trying to rescue the little that they had, people trying to rebuild with the little that they still had left. I went to a, a rescue center called the Samora, well, it was the Samora Mashal High School that had been turned into a rescue center. And there I saw. More than a hundred children that had been rescued by rescued rescue and aid workers, and some of the, the the aid workers were telling me that these were the kids that were rescued from rooftops, from you know, with their parents clinging onto trees. And as the rescuers got closer, parents would fling their children, their babies, to the rescuers so that the babies and children could be saved. And it was just sad to see these children at this rescue center because you could see the trauma on their faces um, of the event. And then, of course, the next trauma of being separated from their parents. They didn't know, I mean, whether their parents were still alive or where they were or whether they would be reunited with their parents again. So it it, it, it was very sad to see this. But I must say, Anne, The South African National Defense Force deployed by President Saul Ramaphosa were amazing. The SANDF were the lead rescuers. So I actually want you to talk a little
0: bit about that, but let me just say to um to the to our listeners, I am speaking with Aisha Ismail. She is a well-known South African senior reporter and she is the Africa regional correspondent for France 24. She's just come back from uh, Mozambique where she's witnessed firsthand the aftermath of Cyclone Idai and if, if anyone who wants to, you know, give us any comments or call in join the conversation on 021 446 05 WhatsApp 072 567 1567 Tweet at Cape Talk and SMS 31567. So Aisha, I was that was going to be my next question because I had seen some of the reports in the media of the SANDF going in and doing really good work. And I wanted to know had you seen any of the actual work or the after effects of the work being done by them on the ground in Mozambique?
1: I have indeed. And as I said, the SANDF, they were the lead rescuers. The SANDF has the equipment, they have the know-how, they have the expertise, they took in three RX helicopters um, to conduct the rescue, and of course, they had the help of an NGO in South Africa called the Gift of the Givers. And the two organizations, the SANDF and the Gift of the Givers, worked together, and just the the, the, the passion and the commitment from the S.A.N.D.F. doctors, the gift of the Givers um, doctors, the paramedics was absolutely amazing. I spoke to a, a rather young S.A.N.D.F. doctor by the name of Misha van Rensburg and and he was telling me about a rescue that he did and, and he said to me that he was a very good swimmer and that he had um, he used to compete in Teng when he was still at school, and and he was saying he had to go in and rescue an old man who was on the top of the roof, and because people did not want to move, the chopper couldn't land very close to to some of the houses, um, and of course there always the fear of, of of the blades that could injure the people, so he the chopper had to land. You know, quite a distance right. from the house. So, so I would imagine
0: come. that the that pilot also had to have quite a level of
1: expertise and nerves of steel. Exactly, and that is why I said they have they have the know-how, they have and they have the expertise. And he was saying to me that he then had to swim to go and rescue this man. When he wow. got to this man, he then realized that this old man couldn't swim. Oh, my gosh. He then had to put him on his back and swim back to the chopper. And he then, he then confessed mm. and he said, mm. was frak to ek trish,
0: um, You know, this is one of those things where I like to say, you can't make this stuff up. You know, when people sometimes they watch a movie and they say, oh, you know, that's unbelievable. Then I always say, but you can't believe what can happen in real life. There's just so many things and the capacity of of human beings to help people and to stretch their limits beyond their limits. Like this young doctor that you're talking about. And also the old man who couldn't swim and was probably afraid of water. And both of them, you know, just going through this thing and coming out alive.
1: Exactly, and and some of the the, the rescuers that I spoke to also said one of the other issues that they faced was because people couldn't, most of the people couldn't swim, they did not want to get off from you know the roof or yeah. from the trees, yeah. and what they all they wanted they wanted their children to be saved mm. and they wanted food, and they and, and some people were sitting on the on on the roofs for about a week they didn't want to get off they were waiting for the water to recede so that they could get down and as i said rebuild with a little that they had so a big ups to the sandf and to the gift of the givers and i also saw er para, er 24 paramedics there so for me being in mozambique made me be, made me feel so proud to a, South yes African, absolutely and and also to see the good work that the soldiers and that mm. the military and mm. the air force that they were doing mm. in, 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 in their uh, in Mozambique. I must say for me also, from
0: what you're saying, um, because coming from the 80s with, mm. the, with the whole um, the, the struggle history where the government agents and the civil society agents, they, if they came together, it was a clash. <laughs> you know so so to hear that this is happening in our democracy it's it's absolutely you know heartwarming and so positive because because besides us moving forward as a society being able to work together it also means we have a lot of expertise in a lot of different sectors that
1: work together that is indeed so and also importantly is the passion and the and the compassion displayed by these soldiers You know, when one thinks about a soldier, when you think about the military, you think, oh, macho people, they're there to protect the borders, they're there to shoot people. No, that is not what I saw in Beira. These were people who were going out and rescuing and helping people in need.
0: So really, a lot of people working together in difficult and dangerous circumstances, putting their lives on the line to save the lives of others.
1: That is indeed so. And when I spoke to some of the soldiers afterwards, they were saying to me, they are already preparing for the next phase, and they called it the next disaster. And this is the outbreak of cholera, malaria, and typhoid. Remember, there's very little drinking water and a hell of a lot of stagnant water. And
0: especially also because, as you pointed out, the infrastructure is now severely um, damaged. And to to my understanding, it wasn't that strong to begin with. And now it's severely damaged and resources also depleted. So there's kind of a whole cycle that's going to happen to contribute towards those conditions now for all kinds of diseases to break out and
1: flourish. That is is absolutely correct. And again, as I said, the SANDF, and the gift of the givers, they had brought in extra doctors, extra paramedics. They were bringing in aid from South Africa. And, of course, the United Nations um, came in UNICEF. Um, Kenya sent their soldiers. India sent um, um, naval doctors. Um, just about, you know, a lot of countries came along with aid to help
0: the people in Bera. Aisha thank you so much for taking the time to come and and speak with us and I just want to add on to what you said because for me also there's a feeling of pride in what you mentioned is African countries Africa helping Africa and having the expertise and being able to do it and do it so so well and all these heartwarming stories um, coming out of people going beyond You know, because they're already, they're already going the extra mile. They are now beyond the extra mile in their efforts and in working together. Um, you know, some government agencies should hop on this as a PR exercise, civil society working together with, with government, you know, and I think it's just absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to tell us uh, your experience there. And, um, I hope you get over your jet lag soon and you recover from what seems to be a little cold settling in there.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Anne, for having me on your show.